needed to be obedient to that call, but they had one concern. They had two little boys, and they hated to see them have to leave their companions and their friends and uh, here in the States and go into a strange country, a strange culture, and have to adjust and make new friends. And so they began to pray about it, and they felt like the Lord had given them a solution. And so they went to the little boys, and they told them of their plan, and they said, but here's the good news. When we get to the mission field, you can pick a pet of your choice. And so the boys were all gung-ho about that. And sure enough, they got to the mission field, and the boys decided that they uh, would get a cat. And um, the boys loved this cat. They took it with them wherever they went. It was their closest companion. They were constantly coddling it and petting it and trying to nurture and protect it. And they were never without it. And then one day, many years later, the cat died, and, and it was really brutal. Um, even though the cat was dead, the boys struggled to let go of it. They struggled to part with it, and um, they wanted to hang on to it. And so the father knew how attached they were to this cat, so he dug a grave, and he suggested that they, uh, that they bury it and have a little graveside service. And so uh, the boys came, but they refused to let this dead cat go. They continued to coddle it and cradle it, and... Um, the father just continued to urge them to let him bury it, and, and finally they agreed. And so the father put the dead cat in the grave, and he began to, to shovel dirt over it. And, and just as he was doing that, one of the little boys grabbed him by the hand and pleaded with him. And they, he begged him that although he would bury this cat, he wanted him to let the little tail stick up just a little tiny bit. And, and, and so the father, you know, he, he knew the cat was dead and the little boys were stubborn and insisted. And so the, the father agreed to do it. But every day, the little boys would go back to that gravesite. They'd return to the place that that cat was buried and they would stroke the remnant of the cat's tail that was sticking up out of the ground. It would provoke and stir up memories of that cat. And so they visited every single day. And the father would watch them from a distance. And after several days, the boys were no longer content just to stroke the tail. They wanted to see the entire cat again. And so they decided to dig the dead cat up. And even though it was dead and stinky, they still petted it and stroked its little back. And um, the father approached them and, and said, you know, guys, we've, we've got to bury this thing. We have to keep it buried. And, and, and so they agreed, but they still wanted that little tail to stick up just a little bit. And so another week went by, and the boys once again felt compelled to go visit the cat again. They, they weren't just satisfied to visit it. They, they wanted to unearth that cat one more time, to dig it up again. Because in their mind, they, they wanted to be sure that it was really, really dead. And, and so they dug it up, and the father allowed them to dig it up because he wanted to prove to them that this thing was dead. And, and it was stinky, and it was decaying, and, and, and the stench of that dead cat got all over them. And, and finally, the father said to them, we need to let it stay buried. We need, to, we need to let it buried once and for all. And the, the boys finally agreed to do that. It's a true story. And I tell you that not to gross you out, but I tell you that because tonight I want to speak to you on the topic of defending against offense. And so many of us here tonight have been carrying offense with us wherever we go. We've been coddling it. We've been nurturing it. We've been protecting it with everything we have. It's our closest companion. And the Father is here tonight saying to us, encouraging us, that that thing is dead and it's, it's stenching, it's stinking up our life. It's polluting our life with stench. And we need to let him bury it. 
We need to choose to give it to him through forgiveness and let him bury that thing. And some of you have tried to do this already, but, but you've said to your father, I just need to go back and revisit it. I need to go back and stroke it a little bit. I need to go back and remind myself of it. And you stir those memories up again, stroking it and nurturing it, and it's stinking up your life. And the father's patiently watching, wanting you, encouraging you to let that thing go once and for all. Once and for all. True forgiveness, true letting go of offense means burying the cat once and for all, refusing to go back and keep digging it up, refusing to continue to nurture and stroke a pain or heartache, rejecting the tendency to coddle a wounded heart, and instead allowing God to bury that thing once and for all, understanding that it's polluting your life. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight, but would you just pray uh, with me first? Father, I've never felt more unprepared for a message in my life, but I thank you, Lord, that when I'm weak, you are strong. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you'd descend on this place afresh and anew, Lord God, that you'd saturate the atmosphere with your sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm tired uh, of, of powerless, empty religion. Father, I'm asking for encounter to take place here, Lord God, that every man and woman in this house would encounter you and encounter your word afresh and anew in their life, that your word would penetrate their very being, that it would penetrate my very being, that it would set captives free in this place, that it would release prisoners from darkness, Lord God, that it would bind up broken hearts. Lord, do what only you can do. We are powerless without you, Lord God. I am not interested in a fine-sounding message. Lord, I want my words to be birthed by your spirit. I want it to be a message that is, is not full of, of wise and persuasive words, but I want it to be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. Will you have mercy on me, Lord God? Have mercy on each hearer of your word and pour out your spirit afresh in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs chapter 18. I, I want to share a verse that has been on my heart for weeks now. I can't seem to escape it. And, and I, I even feel like the Lord, as I sat down to prepare the message for tonight, really hindered me from doing any deep study, from, hindered me from putting my message in an orderly account because I just feel like he wants me to share from my heart. But Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 has been on my heart for some time. It says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Can, can I just tell you that life is hard? Things are not always fair. If you live long enough, someone is going to do you dirty. Your feelings are bound to get hurt eventually. Someone will be careless with their words. People you trust might betray you. People might disappoint you. They might lie about you or lie to you. There is bound to be opportunities for you to be offended in life. But what you do with that opportunity is up to you. The Bible talks about taking offense. You can choose to take it, to accept it in your life, but you have a choice. You do not need to be offended. Luke chapter 17, verse 1, this is Jesus speaking. It's in red. Who knows that Jesus means what he says? It says that you can be sure that offenses will come. This is Jesus. And he's saying, you can be sure, count on it, it's going to happen, that the opportunity for you and, and, and me to be offended will come. 
If you're sitting here tonight and you have never been offended, take good notes because Jesus himself says it's going to come. The opportunity is going to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. For those of you that like to offend people, for those of you who are nasty and unkind, you need to hear me speak tonight. Woe to the man through whom offenses come. We have got to watch what we're doing, church. We have to watch our careless, unkind words, our gossip, our malice, our slander, our backbiting. We have got to be careful how we're speaking to our spouse, how we're speaking to our children, because the Bible says, this is Jesus in red. He says, you can be sure that the opportunity to be offended will come, but woe, the woe. One of these days, I'm going to do a series on all the woes. It's not a pleasant thing, but woe to the man through whom offenses come. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea than to hurt a child of mine. I heard somebody recently reference this scripture, and they said that, that a child, Jesus is talking about a little child here. No, he's not. He's talking about the Bible says we need to come to him like a child, like a child, a childlike faith. If woe to the man through whom they come, it would be better for him to have a millstone throw, to, to, tied around his neck and thrown to the bottom of the sea than to hurt a child of mine. You can be sure that the opportunity to be offended will come. But what are you going to do with it when it comes? Make up your mind right now because I'm going to tell you it's so interesting the word that Jesus uses for offense here. You've heard me teach it before. But if I had a mousetrap up here and Jesus draws a picture with his word. You see Leslie talked to you about Friday morning study. You don't want to miss Friday morning study. Friday morning people is it your favorite day of the week or what? It is fascinating what we learn in that study. And, and, and we learned that, that the Bible is full of pictures. So many of the, the, the Jewish words, the Hebrew words are, are pictographs. They're, they're pictures. He draws a picture with his words. And this word is one of those, the, those pictures that Jesus is drawing. The word he uses for, for offenses is scandalon. If I had a mousetrap up here, the scandalon of the mousetrap is the trigger on the trap. It's the part of the trap that when you trip, if you're going for the bait and you hit that trigger, it'll catch you in the trap. And Jesus is drawing a picture for us. He's saying offenses are a, a trap set by the enemy of your soul. Do you understand that we have an enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy? It's his mission. If he can't keep you out of heaven, he's going to make you live like hell here. And so often he will use offenses and pains and heartaches to trip you up, get you caught in a trap, and to keep you from the life abundant that Jesus has for you. Do you understand it? Do you understand that we don't battle against flesh and blood? So many people have said to me, are you going to pick up where you left off in the, in the spring? You were talking about the schemes of the enemy. This is a scheme of the enemy. And we cannot be unaware. Jesus says that the opportunity to be offended is going to come. And he's saying to us, but don't, don't, don't miss this, that, that when you take the bait of offense, offense is bait set by the enemy of your soul. And when you take it, you will be caught in his trap. And a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Do you know what a strong city is? Jericho was a strong city. How many of you have ever studied Jericho? Jericho is a fascinating story to study. Davey, I forget how, how tall, 25, 45, 45, I think. I think the, the walls around Jericho were 45 feet high, and they were something like six feet wide. I know that you could take, what, six chariots across the, the walls of Jericho. That's how thick the walls were. Jericho was a strong city. It was considered impenetrable, unassailable. You cannot take a strong city. You see, in Bible times, cities were protected by walls. It's, it's what kept them safe. It's what kept the enemy out and kept people inside safe. It was a place of refuge behind a, the fortress of a strong city. 
I read just this week that, 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 that the walls of a city, that they not only would keep the enemy out, they would keep, if you owed taxes, you could not come back into the city until they were paid. If you owed them something, you had to stay outside the gates and you could not come in until you paid your, your, your dues, okay? So, 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 so many interesting parallels are being drawn here. Are you already making them in your mind? A man offended is harder to win than a strong city. How many of you have ever been offended? How many of you have ever taken offense? And, and it's, it's been that cat that you've nurtured, that dead cat that you've nurtured, that you've stroked, that you've gone back to revisit. And, and they said this about me. And they did this about me. And way back here 10 years ago, they did this to me. And, and they offended me. They hurt me. And, and I'm going to nurture that offense. I'm going to keep it down in there. And I'm going to let it pollute my life. But I'm going to tell you what, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And, and what we do is the picture that the Bible is drawing for us. When we are offended, when we're wounded, the tendency to nurture that offense, instead of letting it go, instead of forgiving it, the Bible says that it's to my glory to overlook an offense. It's to my glory to overlook an offense. That means if you hurt me, Mari, if you hurt me, I, I'm going to say, girlfriend, that just hurt, but it's to my glory to overlook an offense because I recognize that it's not about Mari. Mari didn't hurt me. Bah, Jesus, what Peter said to him, you don't have to go to the cross. There has to be another way. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the force behind it. He was talking to the, about to the enemy of his soul who was using Peter at that moment to try to get to him. Can I tell you, you do not war against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against the person talking trash about you. Your battle is not against the spouse making your, your life impossible. Your, your battle is not against the neighbor who pushes everybody you have or the employee at work who you can't stand to be around. That is not where your battle lies. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and evil forces. This is God's word. This isn't mine. And we have to choose what we are going to believe. Will we see the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned? And the natural man cannot understand it. You see, the natural man looks at this and says, that's foolishness. <laughs> they ticked me off. I'm going to get them back. That's how we work. That, that, that's how the world works. Not only am I going to get them back, I'm going to get them back twice as hard. That's the natural man. See, the things of the Spirit are foolishness to a natural man. You look at the things of the Spirit and you say, you, you want me to do what? You, you want me to forgive? You want me to cover an offense? You want me to overlook an offense? That's God's Word. My daughter Kendall uh, started, she has a, a, an interest in a young man at her gym. Mama's first question, Kendall, honey, does he know Jesus? And she said, Mom, why do you always do that? And I'm like, Kendall, honey, don't even get, don't even entertain it if he doesn't know Jesus. She's like, I don't even know him enough to know that. I said, exactly, Kendall. And she said, I just don't know why you always have to say this. And I said, Kendall, honey, don't be offended by me. This is these are God's rules, not mine. I, I'm just telling you God's rules. God's word says don't be yoked together with an unbeliever, girlfriend. And, and, and you, he might seem like he's all that in a bag of potato chips right now, but you get a ring on your finger, you get to be with him a little bit, and life gets hard, and you need him to be a Jesus lover at that point. And I'm just telling you, these are God's rules. Don't argue with me. Don't be offended by me. This take it up with God. And that's what I'm just telling you. The Bible says it's to your glory to overlook an offense. You don't like it? Some of you are offended by me even saying that, take it up with God. It's his rules, not mine. Don't shoot the messenger. But it's to your glory to overlook an offense. Why? Because Jesus, words in red, say that offense is bait on a trap. 
bait set by the enemy to trap you. And once you're in that trap, you see, when we're offended, when we're hurt, when we're persecuted, when people talk about us, when people lie to us, when people betray us, what is the first thing we want to do? I'm not going near you anymore. You hurt me. You did me dirty. I'm going to remember what you did. I'm going to treat you differently. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. Whatever it is that we do, but, but whatever you want to call it, they're walls. They're walls. See, that's how we protect ourselves. You see, cities in Bible times, how they pro- their only means of defense was to put up thick, tall walls that kept the enemy out and the threat out there and, and me safe in here. And you see, we have emotional walls on our city that says, you hurt me once, shame on you. You hurt me twice, shame on me. I'm putting some walls up. I'm not letting you anywhere close to me. I might be nice to you. How you doing? Praise the Lord. But you are not getting near my heart because I'm not going to hurt like that again. I'm not going to hurt like that again. And so you're going to put up a wall. And a man offended. It's harder to win than a strong city. Those walls are not a respecter of person. They not only will wall out your enemy, they will wall out everybody in your life. That you will then transfer that lack of trust, that, that lack of that insecurity to everybody in your life. And a man offended now will be stronger to, to, to win, harder to win than a strong city. And, and, and contentions will be like bars on his castle. It's a self-imposed prison that you'll start living behind. You say, well, Rhea, it keeps me safe. You think it keeps you safe. One of my favorite scriptures that I, I, a number of years ago I came across, you know the scripture that says, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. Anybody know that scripture from Isaiah? See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. I love that. And then he says, and your walls are ever before me. Do, do you know that your walls are ever before God? One of my favorite names of God is that he's a God who sees, that he's a God who knows. He knows exactly what you've been, th- you've been through. He knows what's wounded you, what's hurt you. He knows who did you dirty, who you have chosen through obedience to him to forgive, but he's still solid. He still knows it. And you, you see that Jesus, when he was persecuted, when, when he was mocked, when he was ridiculed, when he was, pat- he was spat on, when he was crucified, the Bible says that he did not retaliate, but that he entrusted himself to the one who judges all men justly. You see, when you forgive somebody, you don't, you don't just ignore what they did. I'm not trying to minimize what happened to you. I'm just telling you, entrust yourself to the one who judges all men justly. See, when we come under his authority, he takes care of everything that concerns us. He says, see, that I've engraved you on the palm of my hand, and your walls are ever before me. That that spoke to me because I, I, I went through some things in my life. Anybody here besides me been through some things in their life and things that caused me to become a fortified city. I used to think it was a plus. Mess with me. I'm tough. I'm, I'm strong. I'm quick with my mouth. I'm, don't, you do not want to mess with me. I'll just tell you because I'm good with my mouth. I, uh, and and I, I am I'm quick, and I am, anybody ever strong like that? That's how I was. And I thought it was this really great thing. (laughs) My grandson, I'm sorry, you got to hear grandson stories. My grandson, he, he looks like a little football player, doesn't he? He is massive. He, you know, Leslie has a little tiny grandson who's taller than him, but he's skinny, and, and he's, he, he, he's, Alton is big, like you pick him up and he's thick and he's heavy and he's a big boy and he's going to be a football player. And we were in Florida a couple weeks ago and Everett, Leslie's grandson, was there. He had his back turned. And I see Alton come sailing across the room and I know what's going to happen. And he's got his arms out and he goes up and he pushes Everett and Everett goes flying. And his dad was standing right there and he looks up at my son Tyler and he says, I got him good. (laughs) And Tyler, his mouth just dropped open and he said, 
that is not acceptable. <laughs> and you could just see Tyler wanted to start laughing, but he knew he had to correct him. And he's like, that is not, but he was so proud of himself. I got him good. And I'm thinking, you're the bully is what you are. And we <laughs> cannot let you get away with that. But he's so proud of himself because he got him good. And some of you, that's how you're living your life. People hurt you. People do you dirty. You are, it's not even that they hurt you. The threat of somebody hurting you makes you get them good before they get you. Jesus said, I understand. Your walls are ever before me. You learn that behavior somewhere. You learn to defend yourself. You learn to protect yourself. See, somewhere you became offended with God, and you thought, you know what? You're not doing a very good job protecting me, so I have got to protect myself. i got to get them good. God says it's to your glory to overlook an offense. When somebody hurts you, it's to your glory to not get them back. It's to your glory to entrust yourself to the one who judges all men justly. But that's not how I lived for a long time. How I lived for a very long time was protect yourself because you don't want to get hurt. And I was a fortified city. I was a fortified city. Nobody could hurt me and nobody could be a threat in my life. My walls were high and they were thick. And then I read the scripture that said, your walls are ever before me. And there's another scripture that says, I want you to be a wallless city. And I want to be a wall of fire around you. Do you know that shepherds in, in Bible times would build a wall of fire around their sheep? That's how they would protect them from the enemy, from the wolves. A wolf wouldn't penetrate a wall of fire. You know what the Lord says to you? Will you let me at your walls? Because they're ever before me, and you're a fortified city, and, and, and nothing can penetrate your life, and you are harder to win than a strong city. Can, can I just have access to those walls? Can I bring them down? Because I'm familiar with those walls, and they are not serving you well. Can you let me at them? And I want you to learn to be a wall of city, and I want to be a wall of fire around you, because he is our protector. He is our defender. He is our very present help in times of trouble. He is the one that promised to never leave us, to never fail us. He's the one who says that in my shadow you can find refuge and safety. Dave and I redid our kitchen in our old house a number of years ago and um, that kitchen was, a, was old when we moved into it and, uh, and then we lived in it a while and and then they came to demolish some of the walls. And I could hardly wait to see what would be behind these walls because it, the house was old. And I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, maybe somebody put something behind the walls. Maybe we were going to find treasure. I didn't know. I had no idea what to expect. I had never seen a house that got demolished. So I couldn't wait to see what was, I, was, I wanted to see what was unexpected behind those walls. And so they came and they began to demolish the walls. And, you know, it was the typical nothing unexpected wires and insulation and piping and um, nothing shocking. And, but they came and demolished this wall. And our house was a wreck for a long time. But I could deal with the wreck because I understood that the finished product that was coming was going to be so much better than what I was currently living with. And so I was excited about it. But I remember one day looking at these demolished walls thinking about the scripture that says your walls are ever before me. And I want you to be a wallless city, and, and, and you are harder to win than a strong city with those walls. Can you let me bring them down? And, and I remember standing before uh, those, those demolished walls in our kitchen thinking, this is how I feel like my life is right now. Like you are demolishing my walls. And, and quite frankly, Lord, I'm afraid to let you at them because I don't know what's behind them. I don't know who I am without these walls. These walls have served me well for so long. And if I let you at them, Lord, somebody might hurt me. Somebody might actually get to me and do some damage again, Lord. And I don't want to deal with that. And so I'd be far better off just leaving these walls up, Lord. I really like being a strong city. I don't even care if I'm harder to win than that. But Lord, I just a little scary to me to let you have access 
to my walls. And look at my kitchen, Lord. What is my life going to be like when you start taking those walls down? But I knew enough with my kitchen to know that the finished product was going to be better than what I was currently living with. And can I tell you, some of you are sitting here tonight, and you are a fortified city. And you're quite happy with it. You're like me. God, I'm good. Strong, mighty. Mess with me. But you're like Alton, where Daddy's looking at you, shaking his head, and says, that is not acceptable. We need to look at that thing. You think you're tough, but it's a weakness. And we're building character in you, and it does not look good to get them good. But Lord, if I let you have access to those walls, that's a little scary to me. And I don't know what's behind them. My life is going to be a mess. But I know enough about you, Lord, to know that when you finish with me, the finished product's going to be better than what I'm currently living with. Because some of you are living with such messed up lives. You have so much offense that you're carrying. You take offense at somebody looking at you wrong. You take offense. You read into everything everybody does, and you're like, I think they don't like me. What is wrong with you? Maybe they're having a bad day. Did you ever think of that? It is so about you all the time. That's pride the last time I looked. Davey read this. Listen to this. Dave preached yesterday on Mark. I love this. Listen to what he preached. He says, um, this Jesus, it's in red again, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, listen to this, desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I, I looked up those words as he was preaching. Whoever desires to come after me, Jesus, let him deny himself. That word deny means to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. It means to cease to make self the center. To forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interest. Whoever desires to come after me, whoever wants to follow me, here's the prerequisite. Let him deny himself. Let him lose sight of himself and his emotions and his interests and his feelings and, and poor me and his offenses. Let him lose sight of that and follow me. Take up his cross. See, to lose sight of my feelings when somebody hurts them, to lose sight of, of my entitlement, to lose sight of me, that's hard. It takes death. Take up his cross, death, place of death, and follow me. For whoever desires to save himself, that word save is to keep oneself from injury. Why do we put up walls? To keep myself from injury. I don't want you to hurt me. He's so beautiful. I don't want you to hurt me. And so rather than be vulnerable and open, I'm going to put up a wall to save oneself from injury. Whoever desires to save oneself from injury, you're going to lose yourself. But whoever loses himself for my sake, that word lose means to render useless, to put out of the way. For my sake and the gospels will find it. You'll find life by doing that. You say, Rhea, it's to my glory to overlook an offense, but what about what they did to me? I'm not trying to minimize what they did to you. I'm telling you how not to let it have power in your life. You see, when you take that thing and you let it have power in your life to ruin your day, to, to meditate on at night, to, to make you miserable, to steal your joy, to make you lack peace, to put you in bed with depression, oh, baby, come on. You give it power. Do not give someone that kind of, I will not give my personal power away. Can I just tell you, there is one person that has power in my life, and his name is Jesus. That's where I get my power. You see, the problem with offense is it's where you get your identity. If I get my identity in what you think about, look at the way I look. If I got my identity by what people thought about me, I would be in big trouble. Part of me just likes it. I, I like that I can, can push their buttons. I like to get the reaction. 
But if I'm getting my identity, my value, my worth, and what you say about me or don't say about me, I'm setting myself up for offense. I'm setting myself up to be in a prison. I'm setting myself up to have to protect myself. If I'm getting my identity by whether or not you like me or you approve of me or you talk about me, or if, if, you, if I hear you've talked about me and it ruins my day and I give it power to ruin my day, I have now empowered you more than I empower Christ in me. Because he says, whoever touches you... <laughs> Touches the apple of my eye. You see, I use Mari. Let me go back to poor Mari. If if Mari hurts my feelings, and and I I want to take the bait, I want to be offended, I want to be hurt, but but because I know that Jesus says that's a trap, I can say, "Mm -mm." it's to my glory to overlook an offense. I can also look back at Mari and say, do you have any idea who you just touched? You just touch the apple of God's eye because he says whoever touches you, this is God's word. I'm just preaching it to you. This is why we have to store it up in our head. This is why we have to know God's word because whoever touches me, baby girl, touches the apple of God's eye. Have you ever poked yourself in the eye? The apple of God's eye is the pupil. It's the part of his eye that, that is at the center of focus. He's saying, oh, that Rhea Briscoe, she is always in the center of my focus. And whoever touches her, I do not miss. Whoever offends her, I don't miss. Whoever hurts her, I don't. So you know what I'm doing? I'm just going to, it's to my glory to overlook that so God can take care of that. And I'm just going to walk away and say, you just touched the apple of God's eye. And I'm not letting that poison, that offense, get anywhere near this heart. Because the Bible says we need to guard the heart. Because out of it flows the issue of life. See, some of you got so many issues in your lives. So much garbage in your life. Can I just clue you in? It's because you have not guarded your heart. Because out of your heart flows the issues of life. Oh, can I, how much time do I have? Can I just tell you this sweet story? Somebody bring me back to guarding your heart. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law died this, this summer, in case you didn't know that. And um, we got news. Davey, are you okay with me telling the story? We got news that he had passed away. We had just been at the hospital, and they told us he'd be discharged the next day. So we went home. And we got a phone call at night, and, and Dave answered the phone. And all I could hear Dave say is, of course I want you to, um, to uh, resuscitate him. And I'm thinking resuscitate him. He's coming home. What, what's going on? And, and, and uh, he said, you know, we'll, we'll be right to the hospital. And so we were walking down the hallway of the hospital, and my mother-in-law has her walker, a woman who has spent her life guarding her heart, a woman who has spent her life filling herself up with Jesus so that when the world bumps into her, all that comes out is Jesus. And I want you to picture this 84. Seven, 87 year old lady trucking down the halls of the hospital and we are hearing on the intercom code blue ICU and we all know it's Stuart we all know he's coding again and we just want to get there to be with him and she's trucking this walker down the hall and she is just praying up a storm and she's saying Lord if this is your time if it's time for him to go to be with you we just, we just submit to that in Jesus name and Lord we just pray for your power to be evident and it's just rolling out of her mouth and I'm following her down the hole and tears are just streaming down my cheeks because I'm thinking out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak what you put into yourself will always come out so we go to his room and, and we sit with him as he passes away and the, the, the little red line is, is just beeping across the, 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 the machine and and I reach up, and it's my papa. It's, it's a man who I love with all of my stinking heart. And I, I reach up, and I put my, my hand on his cheek, and she looks at me, and she says, Oh, Rhea, he's not there. He's not there. And she stands up, and she takes her little walker out to the nurse's station where they've called code four times. So every doctor, every nurse in that hospital is in that nurse's station. <laughs> 
And she wheels her little walker out, and she begins to give the gospel message to every doctor and nurse in that, in that nurse's station. And there was not a dry eye in the sight. And all I could do was, I said to Dave on the way home, we need to take our shoes off because that was absolutely holy ground I was on. It was holy ground. And I'm just here to tell you that we need to guard our hearts because out of the abundance of the heart, all kinds of stuff comes. And if we're not guarding them, the issues of life will flow out of them. Gotta guard, gotta guard our hearts. One last, one last story before I end. Do you know how a pearl is formed? Oysters, you know, they don't think about making pearls. They're not, this is my mission to make a pearl. It's not the objection of their, you know, the, the purpose of a, a pearl. Because what happens is a pearl is formed because there's an irritant that tries to get into its life, into its shell. And, and something from the ocean water, whether it be uh you know, a particle of food or a parasite. I've read a lot about parasites. Uh, wedge their way into the shell of an oyster. And God created the shell with this thing called um, nacre, N-A-C-R-E. God created the oyster with this nacre, nacre, whatever it's called. It's, a, it's something that the oyster secretes to push out that irritant so that it can't get near the center of its heart, can't get, can't get gain access to it. And so it tries to push, it, put the, push the irritant, the invader, out, and so it secretes this nacre, and the nacre then covers the irritant, and the nacre is what the pearl is made out of. Keeps covering it and covering it, covering it, covering it, covering it, covering it until this beautiful pearl is formed. But all that the oyster knows is I can't let that irritant get in me. I have to push it out. Thus the, the secretion of the snaker. I read that and almost fell over. Because the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy sets us up. Joyce Meyer says, I love this. She says, let me get it right. She said, the enemy will set you up until you're upset. That's what his goal is. And so he puts the right people in your path at the right time to offend you, to hurt you, to wound you, so that you take the bait and so that you are caught in the trap of offense. And that thing gets into your heart and destroys you. That irritant, that parasite gets into your heart and destroys you. But God has created us with, with a natural um, secretion that can fight against that. It's called love. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of wrongdoing. Uh, the Bible says that, that we should cover offense with love. That we should cover offense with love, that it's, it's, it's really to our glory to do that that, that, that we need to promote love instead of take offense. In fact, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, in the love chapter, it says that, that love does not easily take offense. Love doesn't do that. And the word that's used for love there is agape. It's God's love in us. And God's love in us is a sacrificial, self-sacrificing kind of love that looks for nothing in return. And, and you see, we don't understand that, that kind of love. I just want to find the, the definition of that agape love. It is a decision, a deliberate act of the will to bless others, to do good towards others, to always have the well-being of others in mind. It's a love that's given without the expectation of receiving anything in return. So I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to secrete all kinds of love all over you because that's what God expects of me. 
And God says that love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing. So you do me wrong if I do my necker, necker, whatever it is, and your irritant cannot get near my heart. I'm like, okay, I could think on that. I could let that wound me. I could spend my night losing sleep over it. But I, it's to my glory to overlook that offense. I start secreting that love, and it covers that offense. Are you with me? And I am giving the kind of love that is looking for nothing back. So you don't even have to be sorry. You don't even have to be sorry. You don't even have to be nice to me back. Because you see, I understand a spiritual principle that you don't understand. You think this is foolishness, but I understand that God's ways work. His pleasant path will always lead to pleasant places. And I understand that when I do what God tells me to do, there's life and it's abundant. And so if you hurt me... You better believe I'm going to create some love right on top of you. And I'm going to cover that offense. And in fact, I'm going to love you so much you won't even know what hits you. Because I understand it's a trap and I am not falling for it. I'm not falling for it. That irritant is going to get covered and I'm going to make something beautiful out of it. One last scripture for you before we close. A person with discretion is not easily angered, and he gains respect by overlooking an offense. A person with good sense is patient, and it's to his credit that he overlooks an offense. Good sense and discretion make a man slow to anger, and his honor and glory to overlook a, an offense without seeking revenge and harboring resentment. Oh, I love it. Here's the scriptures that I wanted to tell you about. Mark 4, 17. It's the story of the sower and the seed. How many of you are familiar with that? I taught on it a number of months ago. And, but Mark 4, 17 says, a sower comes and, and it roots out, it has no root in themselves, and so to endure for it but a time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So what, what it's saying is that persecution, tribulation, pain comes for the word's sake. You see, we have an enemy who does not want this word to get in you. He doesn't want you hearing the word of God on Monday nights and letting it change your life. I promise you, if you are here on Monday nights, I will preach a word to you that's unadulterated. I give you my absolute word on that. And so he does not want you hearing this word. He wants you to be offended by my words. He wants you to leave and say, that's really a little bit condemning. If I have to hear that one more time, I, I, it makes me want to just throw up. Because if you're leaving condemned, <laughs> then, then God's word does not condemn. It convicts. And if you are viewing it as condemnation, it's because your heart isn't open to change. And so you're condemned instead of convicted. But I promise you that you will get a challenge word because God's word is a stumbling block for people. We're to stumble over it, so we have to look at it. I fell down the steps right before we ended in May, fell headfirst down my basement stairs, hit my head on the bottom. And it's because I tripped over my pants. And I got to the bottom of the stairs, and I had to say, what just caused me to trip? I stumbled. What did I stumble over? I had to look at it. I had to change my pants. I don't use those pants to go down the stairs anymore. So when you trip over God's word, it's so that you look at it and you make the adjustments in your life. Not to leave you condemned. He doesn't condemn. He didn't come into the world to condemn it. He came into the world to save it, to deliver it, to set it free, to give it new life. So when persecution comes, it comes for the word's sake. The enemy doesn't want this word to take root in you. So he brings persecution and he tries to get you to question God. God, are you there? God, are you real? And so he comes and he snatches the word. His word must not work because look how hard my life is. And he snatches the word from you. That, that persecution comes for the word's sake, and many are offended. John the Baptist, you know the story when John the Baptist is in prison? This John the Baptist, take a world for Jesus. Let's uh, prepare you the way of the Lord. And, and he's out in the world making a big difference for, 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 for Jesus. 
And all of a sudden, he gets thrown into prison and he's going to be beheaded. And now he's offended. He's offended because Jesus didn't perform like he thought he should. Jesus didn't come through for him like he thought he should. And there's some of you sitting here tonight, and you're not just offended with your neighbor. You're offended with God because he didn't perform the way you thought he should. He didn't come through for you the way you thought he should. And so you're sitting in a prison of your own making behind bars of iron saying, Lord, are you even real or should I expect somebody else's? Are you even the one I thought you were? It always strikes me. That, G, that John sends word, sends word to Jesus, and he said, are, are you even him? Or should I expect somebody else? Here's what hurts me so much. Jesus didn't go to John. He didn't go to John and say, John, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I didn't come through the way you wanted me. He said, oh, just send him word. Tell him the blind see, the lame walk, and blessed is the man who does not fall away, who's not offended because of me. It's always bothered me that Jesus never won himself. I think he's saying, John, come on, get the mission back in your mind. You're making it about you, John. You're making it about you. And see, everything is not about us. If any man would come after me, he'll deny himself. He'll take up his cross and he'll follow me. It's a place of death to self. Last scripture, I promise. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend thee. Great peace have those, are, have those who love your law, and nothing shall offend me. So Jesus said, you can be sure that offenses will come. It's interesting to me when he said that. Um, actually, he said it to his disciples. And he was, he was preparing his disciples when he said that to go out and take a world for him. Uh, he, he was getting them ready to do amazing things for him. He was, he was prepping them so that they wouldn't be unaware of the things that will trap them and, 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 and hinder them from becoming powerful for him. Because he knows that you and I can do mighty work, powerful work for him but not if we're trapped in the enemy's trap. And so if you're here tonight and you're in a trap of offense, if you are angry with someone, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, rage, you see offense produces something in us. When we take offense in us, it produces in us all of those things, hatred, bitterness, depression, despair, jealousy, envy, anxiety, fear, all of those things are when we take offense and we let it have power in our life. We can't give it place. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, before you go out and do mighty things for me, let me just tell you that you can be sure the opportunity to be offended is going to come. But make sure you're aware it's a trap. It's a trap set up by the enemy to immobilize you so you're not effective for me. I'm going to ask uh, Mari to just come as we close. I want you to stand to your feet because... I want to just spend a moment in prayer for you. Some of you have thick walls like Jericho. You're so worried about what people think about you that you can't even be real. You're, you're walled in. You don't let people get close enough to be, to be vulnerable and intimate with you because you've been hurt. And so you've reinvented a person who you think is more acceptable. You've, you've put yourself in a self-imposed prison uh, that, that really keeps people at a distance. And you are missing out on intimacy, on deep connection. You and I were created for intimacy. Some of you are harboring offense and carrying it around like that dead cat that those little boys carried around and it's stinking up your life and God wants you to release it tonight through forgiveness, to let him bury that thing so it loses power in your life. But will you let him do it? Your walls are ever before him. He's familiar with those walls and he wants to bring them down. He wants you to be a wallless city that takes a world for him. But will you say yes to him and to his word? Or will you close yourself off to it and say, you know what, that doesn't, I'm offended by your word. 
So, Father, I pray for every man and woman in this house tonight. I thank you that you are intimate with them, that you are intimately aware of everything they've been through. Lord God, you know them. You know everything there is to know about them. You're familiar with their walls. And Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And Lord, we stand before you tonight and we give you permission, Father, to break through our walls. Lord, we repent of trying to protect ourselves by putting up walls that, that we think will keep us safe. And Lord, we've made ourselves harder to win than a strong city. Tonight, Lord, I ask that you'd soften hearts, that you'd heal broken hearts that you give people the courage to let you bring down those walls. Father, you want to be a wall of fire around us. You want to be our protector. You want to be our defender. You want to be our advocate. We are the apple of your eye. Lord, I pray specifically for people who have deep wounds, Lord, who have been hurt so deeply, so carelessly by someone. Careless words, deep betrayal, heartache and heartbreak. Lord God, I, I'm not trying to minimize those things. I'm trying to maximize their hope in who you are, their burden bearer. Their very present help in times of trouble. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, their healer. Their strong fortress, their refuge. Lord, would you heal? Would you deliver? Would you restore? Take, Lord God, what the enemy has meant for evil and turn it around use it for good. Open up our eyes, Lord God, to see. To see the places where we have erected self-imposed prisons. Give us courage, Lord, to look at We're deceived by the pride of our heart, Lord God. We, we don't want to see it. Give us eyes to see. Forgive us, Lord, for areas that we've hardened our heart to your word. We want to be soft. We want to be pliable. Mold us and make us to be more like you, Lord. Father, I pray for, for, for fire in this place. I pray that you'd purge us, Lord, of anything that's not of you. I pray for a, for, a, for a passion, for a desire to know you better, Lord God, for eyes to see, for hearts to receive, Lord God. Be our bondage breaker. Shatter strongholds in our life. Any place we've come into agreement with the enemy, Lord God, we repent in the name of Jesus. Repent right now of any agreement that you've come into with the enemy of your soul, that you've believed his lies more than you believe the truth of the word of God. You are more than an overcomer. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are a lender and not a borrower. He leads you in triumph. You are awesome and fearfully and wonderfully made. You're his treasured possession. You're his treasured possession. You're his Hephzibah. His delight is in you. You are not a failure. You are a conqueror. You are not a victim. You are a victor. You're not pitiful. 
You're powerful. You are not defeated. You are triumphant. You are not broken. You're restored. You've been created in the image of God. You belong to Him. There is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of God. You are a child of the King. So I silence right now every lie that the enemy has whispered in your mind in Jesus' name. I render those lies powerless in Jesus' name. And I release the truth of who you are into your life. I pray for supernatural revelation. Rhema. Rhema revelation of who you are in Christ, that your identity is in him and not in what people think about you, not in what people say about you, not in what people have said to you. Lord God, I thank you that they are who you say they are. Grant them revelation, Father, I pray. Heal, restore, and renew in Jesus' name.